Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but we're afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto. And I'm Cameron Howard. And joining us today is Rolf Jacobson. That's me. Teaches Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament here at the, the seminary. Thanks for joining us, Rolf. It's great to be here. So, Rolf, I want to know, why is would Jesus shop on Black Friday a stupid question? Keeping in mind that Eric and I had a lot to do with writing that question. <laughs> yeah, Rolf. <laughs> well, I was reminded of uh, what one of my teachers once said to uh, my brother when he asked uh, a question that was designed to, uh, really wasn't a question, I think it was designed to sort of show he knew something. There are no stupid questions, just stupid people who ask questions. I just thought it was a funny line, first are of all. Are you but, saying that about us? <laughs> no, I'm not. What I'm saying is, it's so culturally specific and so far from the culture of the New Testament. Right. Black Friday, I mean, that's only existed for a few years, hasn't it? And yeah. uh, how do you, I mean... I don't know. Nobody can really know. That's why. Right? Yeah. Two, the assumptions that we have about you know markets and buying stuff is, are just so different than it would be in the ancient world for most people where they don't have extra, right? It's not like they the, the luxury of Black Friday is, is unthinkable, I think, to most people in the ancient world. Yeah, I, I mean, funny, I was, as I was uh, rolling in here today, I was thinking about... Um, Adam Smith, an inquiry into the wealth of nations. You know, about that's your book, Cameron, right? Second Isaiah. <laughs> Second Isaiah. Adam not, Smith. Adam, not Adam Smith. Adam Smith, Jesus, contemporaries, right? But uh, I mean, I just was thinking about our economic systems and how um, how foreign they are. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, you have you have a little extra. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to teach that it was a subsistence level economy, and I've done some uh, research in recent years and found out that's wrong. Mm-hmm. That at a certain point, they do start to accumulate surplus enough to trade with each other and mm-hmm. other. But you don't have coins, which is of course you know, or, or let alone an electronic economy. So they have a weights and measure economy, so that you trade in weights and measures, and they're they're only. You know, in the Old Testament, they're only first starting to do that. So, yeah, it is really foreign question. Yeah, yeah and two, those systems are, you know, so full of, you know, we think, our, I think sometimes our economic systems are full of mistrust, but in the book of Revelation, the third horse men is, is holding scales and uh, demanding ridiculous prices for basic necessities of life so that there's... I forgot that. That's yeah, cool. there's like this kind of uh, distrust of those very weights and measures, which is precisely right. There's somewhere in there, isn't there like they keep a kilogram of, of a metal somewhere? So that they have the perfect kilogram somewhere out there, so that we can have. Well, they trust do, in the right? There, I mean, there's a great book called Measuring America uh, that kind of goes through the history of where we get our weights and measures from. Yeah. And it was interesting. The church played a big role in that, huh. uh-huh. and uh, and that and the religious establishment playing a role in that starts in the Old Testament with uh, with there's there's two phrases I think one is a shekel of the temple, and that one occurs a lot, and then less often is I think a shekel of the king. Uh, or um, that th- what the religious establishment is trying to do is create a standard measure, but uh, but they're probably not very successful uh, for lots of reasons. One is economies are so local. But my friend Roger Nam, who teaches at George Fox Seminary, set, uh, uh, studies this stuff, and he said that a gra- uh, the, the measure of one, a shekel, varies. We found the weights with you know the one shekel mark on it, and it it varies from like five to 13 grams, which oh, wow. is a huge yeah, range. A big range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, if you think you're getting 13 and you're getting five. Yeah. So, yeah. So e- different economic systems, but uh, there might be some kind of prevailing questions that we face nonetheless with these. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what I did, right. What I did in the essay, I mean, it was, I tried to have fun with it. So if people haven't read this, they should go read it on the website. Cause it's funny. Hit pause now and go read it and, and come uh, back. 
is say, okay, let's pick one text to wonder how do we use the how do we use the wisdom of scripture? And Jesus and scripture does talk a lot about wealth. How do you use that to apply to a problem we might have today? How do you think about your um, Christmas shopping or your holiday shopping? What I chose to do is take one piece of what Jesus says about wealth, where he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I realized I've been thinking about this wrong. I think I, you probably in an old box, there's a sermon of mine where I said, because you love Jesus, because your heart's with Jesus, some of your treasure should follow. But that's not what he says. He says, wherever you send your treasure, your heart will follow. I mean, and uh, after I gave that sermon uh, in a church recently, a bunch of business people came up to me and wanted to talk about it. First of all, I'd finally talked about something that actually was relevant to their life. And so one of them said, you know, 80% of the people who buy our products have, I mean, who read our ads have already bought the product. And what they're doing is they're informing themselves and and confirming their decision. I think, you know, the thing would be sort of if you buy a new something, you know, a new Honda, you suddenly will be much more aware of Hondas on the road because it's true. It's wherever you send your treasure, your heart follows. Yeah. I think about that same phenomenon, you know, sort of doing first and then mind and heart come after um, in a lot of ways. I mean, one of those ways is simply in spiritual discipline, right? You don't just sort of get everything straight about how you're going to make the time and schedule in your day and everything you're going to say in your prayer and all that, you just have to start, right? You do, you start those habits and then they become part of the schedule. Also, forgiveness comes to mind for me, particularly, right? So if I need to forgive somebody, it's it's not going to be because I have totally healed and figured out everything that happened and gotten it all straight in my head, but I say... I forgive you. For saying your question was stupid? <laughs> yes, Rob, yeah, I, I forgive you. Well, I, for thank you, I appreciate that. that. Yeah, like, I like that because the, de- <laughs> the decision to forgive almost precedes, and maybe by a long time, the actual forgiveness in a sense, right? Or yeah. that there's this kind of interplay between Or you two. learn the discipline. This is yeah. you, you teach your kids to say thank you and yeah. say sorry. So say thank you. You know, They get the treat. Thank yeah. you. Say yeah. sorry. And they go, sorry. Right. <laughs> but you do that so that over the course of like the 18 years you have them until they're free, mm-hmm. they might learn to actually know what gratitude and repentance are. Yeah, because at two-year-olds, they don't know what it means to be grateful, but you're kind of training them by inculcating these habits. Yep. Yeah. Back to the Gospel of Luke then, because I think there is this reciprocity, I think in particular in Luke, between... How, how Luke thinks about people's stuff and people's spirituality, that there's this interrelatedness, this sense in which how you handle, um, whether it's wealth or possessions or anything like that, is this profound reflection of, of who you really are, of who um, of your faithfulness to God, right? That it's not, I do these things so that God will bless me, but that there's somehow this, this sense that if, if you know how to share your belongings— it's a reflection not just of your generosity, but of God moving in your life. Yeah, I'm taking that in. I think I think I get what you're saying. Let me say a little bit more about it, which is, um, just say more. <laughs> I want to make sure I, I, I get what you're saying. So, for example, when we think about um, uh, the beginning of the book of Acts, the, they, uh, the church sells, the people, members of the church sell everything they have. They leave it at the foot of their at the foot of the apostles. And I always ask people in churches if they're willing to do this with their pastors. And I think they like their pastors, but they're not entirely happy about this, imagining this. And it says that there was not a needy person in their midst. And then it talks about um, 
how they were constantly preaching the resurrection. And then it mentions again how there was not a needy person in their midst. And I think sometimes the way we think is that there is the preaching of the resurrection on one side and the practices of the church on the other and our care for each other. But there it's kind of weaved together that the reason they give everything they have is not because they feel some compulsion to do it, but because they believe in the resurrected life. I like that. I think one piece of what you're saying that really captures me, captures my imagination is that we talk, we often talk about giving or generosity as a response, you know, um, God forgave us. God sent a son to die for us. We respond. And that's that's much too neat and too linear. It's much more of a big whirlpool of cause and effect, which is gets back to the forming your character so that you'd be, I mean, that you have some control. Okay, we're all, we got the bondage of the will and all that, but we have some control over our habits and inclinations. We contend and uh, certain dispositions. And it's not just, oh, I've heard it, now I respond. And I'm really struck when you bring out in the essay, right, our loyalties. Man, I'm so guilty of this. I have strong opinions about products, right? I have um, I have an iPhone. I only drink Coke. I mean, just that there well, are You two certain... are both Coke people, aren't you? Well, Coke all the people. They, they did pay for education, which they is a did. long story. But, yeah, <laughs> it's true. But um, that the idea that with, you know, with our money comes loyalty that we are making choices and we hand over the money and so, so there's something about I hand over that money you know put it in that drink machine and I'm, now I feel compelled to argue for the superiority of my choice what? right and what has happened or I feel yeah the, what was it the, the physics thing for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction it's almost like as you hand over the money that product then makes a claim on you that's the moment you pass over the that 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 sense of loyalty, you're kind of committing to it, and it takes a hold of you. It does. I mean, it really does. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's like the alchemy of markets and money. And it's not bad; it just is. So we better understand it. My son, I I, t- I think I tell the story in there. I can't remember if I tell it, but I talk about during the essay about Axe and Old Spice. My yes. son Gunner. My son Gunnar likes about he's nine and, and he's just kind of gotten into highly perfumed forms of soap, and so he he likes Axe. He's the right age for that, I think. I think he is. Well, of course, the ads work <laughs> yes. yeah, on TV, if, if, or they worked on a kid a couple years older than him, yes. and that guy said at Bible camp, I use Axe. So, but then I realized, okay, the highly perfumed form of soap that I buy is Old Spice. Why? When did that start? Huh. Wow, probably like in college, thirty years ago, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that's creepy. That I still. I don't make that constant decision. At some point, I was buying this uh, this form of deodorant back yeah. when it came in a round tube instead of like the oblong one now. I remember that now. And and I just kept doing it yeah. without ever reflecting on it. So maybe there's a call here for, for mindfulness that I think that these, these are habits that are very easily formed. Um, and if we don't stop to think about them, they can start taking ownership over our lives in a way that we don't even recognize. Um, so Rolf Jacobson. Macy's is opening at 8 o'clock, Thanksgiving <laughs> night. Are you going to be the first person in line? Uh, no, I won't be. Uh, You'll still be eating turkey. I'm not, I'm not really a Macy's. I mean, if, uh, you know, I think the kind of store that could get me in trouble on Black Friday are more like, you know, Gander Mountain to go buy some, <laughs> go buy some fishing stuff or, or uh, Best Buy to go buy some product. Yes. You know, okay, some but will, TVs. You, will you see Jesus there oh, in the store? 
In what way will you see Jesus there? Well, I don't. I think the I think the bigger question. I like that. I mean, you do have uh, when we go shopping on Black Friday, we'll, we will run into the Salvation Army folks, uh, you know, clanging their bells. At least the stores that still let them be there. And that maybe to me is the more important question: is where do I find the poor during this season and send some of my treasure to the poor, so that my heart would also follow. And so that I could start to shape a heart that's more like God's, caring for the poor. I mean, to me, that's I think the the big, big wisdom I got out of, got out of um, being asked to write this uh, answer to the question is: I have some control over my heart, and I want to ten years from now be somebody who's more mindful of the poor, and I can start to shape that now by increasing my giving to Union Gospel Mission, Salvation Army, Lutheran World Federate, Lutheran World Relief, and so on. And I was struck, too, by there's a mindfulness, not just for the, you know, I think when we think poor, I I often think about the desperately poor and the homeless. But then there's a whole subsection of people, the working poor, that maybe in some ways even more invisible because they're the ones cleaning plates in the back of a restaurant or they're the ones ringing up the the sale at Macy's at 8.30 on, on Thanksgiving night. And that maybe there's a mindfulness that we need to engage in as well about, you know, the, the practices that businesses use and our own practices and how we interact with them and how we are just neighbors to them. And, and to prioritize, right? I mean, not simply just to give more money to the poor, but that that's first, right? So this is my goal. This shopping season, when I budget for what I'm going to spend on Christmas to not pick out the presents first and whatever's left over, right, but to put the treasure yeah, to the to, poor first and so that to let that then dominate. Yeah, when you take budget. your uh, take your kid to Target or whatever, say, okay, first we're going to buy food for the food shelf or first we're going to buy a toy for Toys for Tots. And after we do that, after we decide what we're going to do, then we can uh, think about Grandma and Grandpa and Uncle Rolf who needs a new TV from Best Buy. Plasma LED, take anything. Anything, pretty much. I'm good. Thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find out more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again.